0: Are you ready for some good news? Is that even possible? Last time I checked, it's still 2020, and here we are meeting in a field under a tent. I'm quoting from the first message of the Mark series, October 4th, 2020. A little bit has changed uh, in almost two years. Maybe that's an understatement. But Mark began this letter of his, or treatise, we might call it, with a powerful statement. Mark 1.1, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And for 16 chapters, he has shown us Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, the King of the upside-down kingdom. And why is this good news? Because according to Mark, the coming of God's kingdom means healing for the sick, justice for the oppressed, freedom for all who are enslaved, renewal and restoration for all that is decaying and broken, mercy for all who have made mistakes, forgiveness for all who have sinned, purpose for all who are languishing, wisdom. For those who long for truth. Peace for all who have conflict or turmoil. Provision for all who are poor. Rest for the weary. Hope for those who doubt. Strength for all who are weak. To name a few. And that's good news. The perfect and all-powerful king has come from heaven to earth. Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. To establish his Perfect kingdom, and he does so in an upside-down kind of way, not through force and power and oppression, but through sacrifice in power and service. He gives, he loves, he pours out his life for the hurting and broken, the sick and suffering, the marginalized and oppressed, the poor and the weak. His kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world, which are full of corruption, Abuse, greed, and oppressive rule. Much of this I'm still quoting from the first message of the Mark series, and to quote directly, this should sound like good news more than ever, considering the world that we find ourselves in. A governing authority who uses their power only for good, who loves, who gives, who is humble, who speaks wisdom, who shows mercy and compassion who is just and who holds accountable all who serve under them to that same standard and character. We are invited to be a part of that kingdom as both recipients of its blessing and agents of its expansion. And for 16 chapters and nearly two years, we've been unhurried in the pursuit of that as Jesus has invited us again and again to come. Follow me to come be a part of his kingdom. Now it's time to end this journey, or is it? The gospel never ends. It continues to expand and progress. The invitation to come and to follow remains resounding every day for each one of us and as we extend it for the whole world. The gospel never ends, which is certain. What's not certain is where Mark's gospel ends. And perhaps this sermon series. This is kind of the last message of this series. Last week was maybe a better end to the series as we wrapped up Mark 16 verse 8. And possibly next week I will... Continue to expand on these alternate endings of Mark's gospel. If you have your Bibles or your devices, and if you have a device and you can go to multiple translations, English translations, unless you're fluent in some other languages, and see what the translators do with Mark 16, it will not be the same. Not just with some. Changes of words, but even the verses themselves. And the translators will add different kinds of notes for the verses that come if there are verses in your Bible after Mark 16, verse 8. As I said, it's hard to know where the end of Mark's gospel truly is. And therefore, this sermon series, if this is the last message of this series, I like to make a note, Uh, whenever I get to complete a long book or a long series, I'm both grateful and humbled, grateful considering two years that I get to continue to preach and pastor. Many are no longer preaching and pastoring in these past two years, some of my close friends, which is also humbling, and humbling as a reminder looking forward that one day, more than likely, I will begin a series and not finish it. I don't get to write the end of the story. You don't write the end of your story. God does. Which is a great lead-in, I think, for this message, this final message, asterisk, of Mark. So in many translations of your English Bibles, you probably have more than Mark 16 Verses one through eight, maybe 12 additional verses numbered. And in some versions, you may have another note that is not versed. Often, these verses are placed in brackets, and the note or footnote probably says something to the effect of these verses were not included in the earliest manuscript copies of the Gospel of Mark. You know that we have no original copies from any author of the scriptures, Hebrew or Greek which does make sense with any kind of study in antiquity. These are thousands of years old letters and documents. There was no way to preserve originals. We have an incredible amount of consistent copies of the Hebrew scriptures and the Greek scriptures, giving us quite certainty that we have preserved what the author originally wrote, even if our earliest copies are hundreds of years past the original writing. There was a meticulous process of copying and recording, as there was throughout the ancient world. It wasn't just unique to the Hebrew or the Greek culture. That was the only way to preserve written written text and important documents was to have professional copyists to make duplicates for what what would happen if one was destroyed. That The message could be preserved. A few times in Scripture, we have some notes like this that say our earliest copies do not contain these words or these verses, but others do. And thus a, an incredible field of, of, of textual criticism. I, I may open a can of worms a little bit next week. I'd like to keep it closed today. Let me just read verses 9 or words labeled verses 9 through 20, from the, from the NIV, here's what it sounds like in the NIV, Mark sixteen nine and following. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. And when they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. They will drink deadly poison. It will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven, and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. There's some problems with this alternate ending. Foremost, it almost certainly was not written by the author we know as Mark. That raises a few questions. I will keep that lid shut and maybe open it next week. And if it is a can of worms, bring your garden gloves. Let's keep these words in brackets in our minds, as they are probably in most of our translations. What does that mean? At minimum, they're interesting and insightful. But if these were not originally written by the same author that we have been studying for these past few years, then they were added in by a copyist or a group of editors, as many scholars believe. Their records just do not seem to go back to the original copies. And yet, the early church, some hundreds of years after these events, but nonetheless, from our perspective, very early church, still held these as at least authoritative or important for them. Again, I'm already starting to crack that lid and just need to keep that closed today If they are not Mark's words, but from the early church, again, they are insightful, interesting, but they are definitely not Scripture. They're somewhat confusing and perhaps even contradictory to Mark's intended message, which I think is ironic because I do believe they were written to help the church to honor Mark, and to encourage one another, that they were not inserted in there to try to mislead or distract or divide the church, but for a good purpose. And I think that's ironic, because I do believe they're contradictory to Mark's message and the way that he chose to write and to conclude his gospel Okay, first, they raise a myriad of questions that we wouldn't have otherwise asked. Second, they're confusing relative to the previous verses in in even chapter 16. And third, they contradict his intended purpose. It makes them interesting. So one at a time. The whole host of questions that might come to mind, even as I read that, if that's the first time you've heard it or first time in a while you've heard that, I'm not sure how you deal with this. If I would guess, most of us have read through the gospel accounts and come to this passage in in, to some degree and have seen this note and looked at the brackets. And and again, maybe that is like a can of worms, and you just put the lid on and just move on, unless you have an original King James version. And likely, there's no note whatsoever. It is helpful to have the note. Maybe not helpful to have the words. So the questions that even come to mind simply in the, in the text. The context of these writers, whenever this was, likely a hundred or so years after Mark was concluded, these words were added in, we, can become, we would be blinded by our own context too. If I asked you to write a summary of the past two years of, you know, of what's happened in our country or even specifically on the east side of Seattle... And you only have a couple, a couple paragraphs to summarize that. And now imagine three or four hundred years from now, let's say a farmer in Zimbabwe were to read that account, he might have some questions, let alone trying to discern the, the language used uh, and, and parse that through. So something similar is happening here. You're, we could be, we're blinded by our context. I think so were these copyists or, or editors. Whoops. Editors. I said I would keep the can shut. When, when did Jesus drive out seven demons from Mary? That's not in this gospel. It, it does show up in another, another one. That, that'd be a strange thing to add. We've already seen Mary show up a, a number of times, but not this note. And, and did Mary and the other women who were there, chapter 16, believe in Jesus or not believe? Did Jesus show, show up to them or just to Mary or, or not? What different form did he appear to the other two? Is baptism now a requirement for salvation? For for whoever believe and are baptized will be saved, verse 16, or words labeled verse 16. And how was Jesus taken up to heaven? Seems like some more could could be given to that. And perhaps most interesting of all, of course, are we to be snake handlers and poison drinkers? And even if we don't take that as prescription, because truly it is description, but if those signs don't accompany the proclamation of the gospel and the other signs listed, has it truly been proclaimed? Are we missing something? It seems like we're missing a lot. Now, if you're hoping that I might attempt to answer these questions or the other ones that you have, brace yourself for disappointment. I don't believe Mark intended at all for us to ask these questions from his gospel, Oh, I believe he intends with the way he ends for us to ask and try to answer a number of questions that he raises, but I don't believe these. So I wonder how helpful they are, although interesting and perhaps insightful to a time in the church. Second, this alternate ending is confusing just to the previous verses, as, as mentioned how did Jesus appear to them and when? And what, what happened? According to the other Gospels, we see some, some pieces of this story, and it is, it is described differently, but that's not how Mark chooses to describe it. Again, holding that he's not the one that wrote these additional words, which almost no one of scholarship believes today. Even a casual reader of the English translation would notice I think, the jarring difference of the way Mark writes to now these words, which is kind of that first clue that maybe this, is, this, maybe this isn't Mark. In fact, in Greek, it's, it's far more obvious of a different style and flow, let alone the flow is confusing for how Mark describes the resurrection event and now how these words describe it. Third. If Mark intended to end the gospel in verse 8, as we have in the earliest manuscripts, and I say if because there are some wonderings on that, it's a very abrupt ending. We've gotten used to that style of Mark, haven't we? So I'll mention that a little bit more next week. But if he intended to end it there, then that was purposeful. And to have it continue would contradict his purpose of why he left it hanging, so to speak, for us with such an abruptness. Now, it truly does push that abruptness and suddenness to the extreme, the pinnacle of, of how it ends with a conjunction, which isn't grammatically correct for us in English. It could work in Greek, but it just hangs. He does it nowhere else in the gospel. It is possible that Mark did write more and it's been lost. Some surmise that, a theory that I will, again, crack the lid to next week. But if he did intend to end it in verse 8, then it needs to stand. Then he has a purpose for it. And these other words are maybe only insightful as a commentary, but should not be included as a conclusion to his story I think we've grown accustomed to the abrupt style of Mark. He's direct, he's to the point, he's hard-hitting. He uses the word suddenly or immediately, depending on your translation, I think some 40 times, and it only shows up about, that same word only shows up about 12 other times in all of the other Gospels. So comparatively, he's, he's got a message to proclaim, and he gets there immediately, immediately, immediately. It's urgent. We saw that kind of throughout and yet even this stretches us, this abruptness. What? <laughs> That's it? <laughs> There's a, this, this is a, a style, and I think most of us probably don't like this style, of certain movies or TV series or even books. You ever get to the end of a book, and especially if, you, if you're a reader on like a Kindle app and you haven't been watching the page numbers. See, I like hard copy books. I can know when the author's going to end it. And you'll get to the end and like you flip, and where's the rest? Maybe there's a movie that comes to mind or a TV series that comes to mind, and it's unresolved. And that's intentional. What what does that do? It sticks with us. We're unsettled, and we say, what happened? What's the rest of the story? And what do we do? Because we want to resolve, we write the rest of the story. we, We don't even have to think about it. It just happens in our minds. We finish it. Is it possible that that is Mark's intention with the gospel? If so, it's quite brilliant. Even ending with a conjunction. There must be something lost here. There must be more to the story. What happened? What happened to the women? What happened to the disciples? What happened to Jesus? The gospel is meant to stick in our minds. It's meant to linger. The story has not concluded we are meant to finish the story, but not just to make up our own ending that it's resolved, but to live the ending, to become the disciples. If the women didn't go and proclaim it, we must. We now have the truth. The world must know. He is risen. He has conquered death. He is king of an eternal kingdom that will never stop. He has called the weak and the poor and the marginalized and the oppressed to have power, to rule as he rules with his authority in goodness and love and mercy for the sake of the world. That message has to go out. The story is not over. We're invited to live it. So perhaps... The end of the story hasn't been written at all. Perhaps there's more to tell. Richard Burridge, a priest of the church in England, compares the ending of Mark to its beginning. He says, Mark's narrative as we have it now ends abruptly, but it began abruptly. There was no introduction, no background to Jesus's arrival, and now there's none for his departure. No one knew where he came from, no one knows where he has gone. And clearly, not many understood him while he was here. Mark's story of Jesus becomes the story of his followers, and their story becomes the story of the readers, us. Will we follow or desert, believe or misunderstand, see him again, or remain standing, staring blankly into an empty tomb? Jesus is on the roads, in the fields, in the innermost parts of our city, Will we go to him? Will we walk with him? Will we proclaim his kingdom come now and forever? Let's end abruptly. Catherine, Daniel, would you come and lead us? Let's sing. Let's let the unsettledness, if there is, linger, that we would join in the story. After two songs, we'll pause and take communion together. Be prepared, elements that are there in the back. If you're online, find some bread and juice if that's all you have, and join us. Let's sing.